Hi, I'm Michael. Hi, I'm Sanat. And welcome to our podcast, No Assembly Required. Today, we're talking about education New Zealand with our very first guest, Halim Smith. Well, we are recording now, but usually our starts are always awkward. We have to kind of find a way into it. Yeah. Um, I mean, we always think we're going to be regular with this, but something comes up. Uh, yeah. Mike was in Aussie for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, oh, we were both suffering because of summer school, but today's really good because we have a guest. Well, That's hello. Kia ora koutou katoa. My name is Salim Smith and I am a friend of these two, I guess. Um, you know how we did like a story of you and me, oh, Mike? No, not a whole. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, it's it's like very much Halim's been a part of that if arc. We, if we go, yeah, if we go back to the story that Sanat and I spoke about when, in the first episode, yeah, between it was it it was when Sanat went the the Pukitama Youth Foundation where where Sanat and I worked together a lot. Halim joined after me, been before Sanat. Yep. Yep. In the middle, and and, been, and then we bonded on Zoom. Yeah, yes, exactly. At like two a.m. over lockdown. Yeah, Co- yeah lockdown. COVID, COVID trauma. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was fun. And then it's been a wild ride since then. Halim, you've graduated university now, and I have. You what stu- do you study? I I did what? What, I what did you study? I studied a bachelor's of science. Why? Why? <laughs> I think. No, it, first off, what did you actually do? What What was your spec? Uh, microbiology. Oh, cool. Um. I say as I like I you don't, don't know, that. I don't know <laughs> yeah I, I used to like rant to Michael about like specific topics of microbiology because I was really in like excited and enti- and I wanted to entice him about these ideas too he wouldn't he wouldn't have a clue you, or care about these you things. were equivalently annoyed and in love with your degree right yeah I think that's a really healthy relationship to be in with your degree where it's like you know you're super passionate about it you fucking hate it sometimes yeah um Maybe that's not healthy. Well, I mean, there's probably a, not, but yeah. there's a fine balance between like how much you hate your degree and how much you do like it. Because overly liking your degree, I think, can get overly toxic. I don't know. Like you're just crazy. You're talking about med students. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Please no, no, go so to university and so study it, medicine. It, we need it's, it. It's like it's like you love it so much that you just hate everything else, right? I think. Um. I think. Well, put it this way: Have you ever met somebody who has enjoyed their university degree completely? It's the humanities people. <laughs> They're so weird. Oh, the music, the music Man, people. this is not a podcast to bag on humanities people. No, They're, they're can, important. We can say this. We're in STEM. No, no, no. no there's no superiority. There's there, no we. There's, yeah. <laughs> I have two engineers with me and I did, I did a bachelor's. Well, hold on. I'm not there yet. Call me an engineer when I graduate. Not only am I not graduated, I'm also doing a contract in global studies and I like the humanities so, so much So he's more. bagging on you. Yeah. You, why, why are you targeting me? I'm, I'm half bagging on you. No. Okay. But hear me out. It's like... You cannot have STEM, like this attitude is why STEAM exists. <laughs> oh yeah, STEAM. That's such a weird combo. Yeah, yeah I, I think I think you're. I think Liam's right. It's it's that's why they put the A in there. Yeah, because they want to be included. It's, it's, it's tokenism. <laughs> so it's everybody. Uh, anyway, moving on from this very problematic conversation about <laughs> STEAM, degrees. STEAM, science, humanities, <laughs> tech, engineering, arts, uh, mathematics. Yeah. And then an, is extra that the new M, thing? an extra M for music, Steam. Wait, is that a real new thing? No. no. Oh, okay. Oh, Steam is a thing. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But I think people just put it in there on accident. I think I think people literally say Steam on accident. Oh. They, I, 
I don't think they understand. I mean, I've seen it. It's usually in America. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yes, you you studied uh, a bachelor of science majoring in microbiology, which doesn't exist anymore, by the way. Rest in peace, AUT. Wait, 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 um, AUT doesn't exist? No, no, no. no, no. no, no. <laughs> the degree, why doesn't a degree exist anymore? They got rid of the bachelor, uh, the, micro, the microbiology major because it was too hyper-specific when it came to like the, the science knowledge and whatnot. Um, and I somewhat agree because like compared to my other peers right now, I have like a less broad knowledge when it comes to biology as a whole. Mm. While I just majored in freaking bacteria and yeasts which doesn't really apply to much. It applies to my lab job right now, which is interesting, I guess. Yeah. I mean, is it like, okay, so they've taken now microbio because it was too specialist. So why did they put it up in the first place? I think because AUT wants to be one of those schools where they're like, oh, we have microbiology, come to us. And it did attract a lot of people for the time being, Mm. but they soon realized, oh, the people that we have graduating from this degree doesn't really like I feel like really lost and don't know where they're going right well, most yeah in saying that where did you go i went to a lab for six months yeah. um but that being said i only went to a lab for six months because i want to do a degree degree uh, a graduate diploma in secondary teaching um and hello, that is the theme of today. I kind of. I, I actually have no idea what we're talking about. So, Nat and Halim have discussed this to some degree. I, I'm just here to listen and contribute my thoughts. But yes, today's episode is supposed to be about the theme of education. Education right? in New Zealand. Well, like, my thought originally was like, you know, I haven't really heard uh, people talk about education quite a lot. It's a very big political football at mm. times. Um, and usually when I hear public conversations about education, it's some hacks on talkback radio talking about how kids aren't the same these days. You know, they don't show up to school. They don't like studying. Um, they're too privileged. And I'm like, these are some really bad takes. And what I'm not hearing here is, you know, where, where are the conversations about what it was just like to be in that education, you know? Because that's changed radically over the last 30 years. So the adults we hear on the radio talk about education and talk about all the problems around truancy and, you know, attendance and achievement standards, that, like achievements like that standard that they're setting there or that expectation that they're setting there is very different to the experience that you know you and i had while we were in school or kids are having right now and it's like changed while we were in school Mm -hmm. it's changed in the last two years because of you know covid um and a lot of different curriculum changes and i think the one thing that i'm really missing here is like sort of a deep dive into our personal experiences with education in New Zealand and sort of the dynamics around that and, and what it was like being in that system and sort of what we think about it overall, because it's really hard. It's really hard to be like education is bad because that's definitely not the case. Like any complex system, there are good things and bad things. And what I really want to get to the root of is where, what are the things that we take away most from our education as it's ongoing? Because me and Mike is still not graduated um, and, you know, what are the things we w- would like to see happening? Um, what are some of the experiences that we think are important for people to know about or to sort of understand specifically about education in Aotearoa? Um, yeah, and that's sort of what I wanted to get at today. I thought it was a really interesting discussion because it's so big. Like, it goes to the individual scale, yep. Yep. which is, you know, you rock up to school in year one. What was that like? 
to a really large scale, which is in uni. No, no, no. Like oh. large scale as in our, our system from start to finish, oh, which right. is like, what is it like to be a student in this country? Mm. What are the challenges associated with that? What are the experiences in the sort of things that we learn and the things we see every day in school? Um, yeah, that's what I sort of wanted to get at. I know, I know this podcast is called No Assembly Required, <laughs> but I have done a little bit of thinking about this. I've been thinking about it for a long time, ever since I was in school, um, because I... I love school. I love thinking about learning. I love thinking about, you know, what an environment where young people are, what could happen with that? What could you do with that? What is the potential there for us? Um, and also because it's incredibly important for us as a you know community, as people, to be invested in the education of future generations. So this is called No Assembly Required. I did some thinking. Liam actually took notes, so he's some assembly required. Some, I'm high maintenance, sorry. Mike doesn't have any... I'm literally, while they're talking, I'm like Googling stuff about education in New Zealand. Um, and I think one thing to kick it off with is education is such a complex issue of being able to deterministically say what's good or bad. Mm. Yes. But to start us off with some sort of... Let's take a broad prick picture. Yeah, well, here's the ranking of education... Education rankings by country. I'm just Where trying are to look, we? I'm just trying to look for the source, yep. which I can't find. So take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt. But what is your source? <laughs> Mr. Michael Howell? Is it <laughs> like, Wikipedia? I don't believe. Actually, I'm I'm questioning this. I mean, it says United States is the highest, is ranked best for education. That's, I don't. That's some nationalist bullshit. I don't man. believe that. Like and, that's, but that may consider tertiary education, which uh, in which okay. case may, that might be true. Yeah. 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 So. If, if we ha we keep that in mind, education, I think this is like all of education. Uh, United States first, United Kingdom second, Germany third, Canada fourth, France is fifth, then in order, continuing Switzerland, Japan, Australia, Sweden, Netherlands, and New Zealand in position 11 hmm. as of 2021. <laughs> Interesting. That, that's, okay, first, like, that... Once again, I'm going to take that list with a grain of salt because I didn't hear any Asian countries oh, there. Like, Japan is usually where we Japan, hear. South Where's Korea, Singapore. Singapore. Um, China. I think some things that have been told to us about education, or at least some bad things that stick out to us is, you know, New Zealand has some of the highest bullying rates yep. in schools. Um, one of the highest youth suicide rates in the OECD. Um, or just general mental health issues. Yeah, yeah, that's a general problem there. But I also think there's some really positive things that we can take away from education as of recently. Um, they're implementing a new history curriculum. Uh, to teach New Zealand children about um, you know our constitutional founding and in tetiriti um, you know New Zealand land wars yep. how that sort of culminates in the things that we see today and that's and that's really promising so you know there are things to take away from our education system but just as a broad snapshot very similar to other Western countries where you know you have a national standard of assessment. Um, kids will come in, they will learn things that they need to be learning. Um, and you will always have these back and forth conversations about, oh, they're not competing with kids overseas. Oh, they're not um, learning enough. Oh, our achievements are not high enough. But I think when you actually look at the root of it, as a whole, we have a pretty high quality education system. And the fantastic thing about it is that it's public, you know? It's generally you, like you, free. You, it's it, for the most part, it's free. So, you will find that kids are able to access what is, in comparison to a lot of the world, 
a, a good quality education um, for a very low cost. And then on top of that, I think it's important to contextualize that a lot of the way we educate kids is still based in our colonial history, you mm. know, um, especially culture around high school, you know, kids still rock up to school in uniform. uniform we have yeah. stuff like prefects, things that you would have found in UK in the UK 50 years ago. Um, standardized testing. Sta standardized testing is everywhere. You know? I mean, there's like different ways in which you learn and standardized, test standardized testing. Well, we can get into that a little bit later. Yeah. But yeah, we have standardized testing. So that's like a broad snapshot of um, education in New Zealand. But I know Halim had some notes. So I want to get into, you tell, you're telling me that you wanted to be a teacher. Yeah. I want to understand a little bit more about, you know, your experience in the New Zealand education system, your lived experience, right. and how that sort of led to you wanting to be a teacher. Okay, well, that's a really, like, broad question, but I'll try my best to encapsulate this, I guess. Well, I first came to the land of the long white cloud, Aotearoa, in 2008. That was when I was in year three, um, and I was, you know... Just a small Indian kid. It's an Indonesian kid. Sorry, my bad. You just mischaracterize yourself. Sorry, Indonesian kid. Um, I'm a small Indian kid. <laughs> Indonesian kid. And um, and I, ha I had no prior knowledge to what the New Zealand curriculum and educational system would be like. I had very basic knowledge of English. So I was I was so lost. I was thrown in the, in the deep end. And... You know, I had I had no friends, and you know I couldn't speak the language, so it was a, it was it was really difficult for me at the time. But you know, as time flew by to year eleven, which is like a huge leap, I guess, in time, that's when I started really appreciating what the educational system is like and could be like. Um, fast forward again to year thirteen. In my head, I'm like, oh shoot, what am I gonna do with? with myself once I graduate you know I I'm not going to do Japanese because I wasn't that good at Japanese I just did it because it was fun I don't think I'm going to do health or uh, classics or statistics here I am left with biology so I was like okay I ended up failing two of the externals just point blank I, I only passed the paper because I passed the big credit one um, so I was like okay fuck it sorry can I swear here Okay, fuck it. I'm gonna do, um, you know, biology with my with my life. So I applied to AUT because I have a cousin who um, attended AUT or attends at that time, um, and I applied to a bunch of their courses, um, most of which was health science, which I I, I kind of regretted. I was like, oh, I don't really want to go to North Campus. So I applied to microbiology, and here we are, I guess. But the reason why I ultimately went into teaching was I ended up doing a lot of like advocacy work with, AU, uh, with um, PYF, Pukatava Youth Foundation. Working with young people has like really made me like curious about what goes on in their heads and how can we inspire them to be like the better version of themselves when they eventually leave the clutches of the educational system. Um, yeah, I, I had, I've had some pretty good teachers and I, I want to be like them and I've had some not so great teachers which I want to improve myself to not be like that no shade to those teachers I think they are just like held back in their time I guess um, but yeah that's why th that's my journey as to why I want to be a high school teacher not an intermediate primary or 
a, a uni professor, a teacher sort of thing. Yeah. Michael, do you want to? <laughs> I'm just trying to gra- wrap my head around kind of um, my own experiences at, at high school and uh, just thinking about what, 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 did, what did I think were the good things about my time there mm. and what were the not so good things um, and what do I think the future should look like. And it's good to hear that the reason you want to go into teaching is to help improve people, make them a better vision themselves. Yeah. It's positive to hear from future teachers. Um, <laughs> That's what you'd hope. <laughs> yes, I think some of the best teachers I had were the ones who were new and who had that fresh inspiration yep. and who weren't... Um, Almost disillusioned. Stuck in their way. way. Yeah, but unfortunately, even over my time, I saw those teachers also change yeah. mm. back into that regular... And I'm not sure if that's they run out of energy or there's systems that prevent them from Mm. doing Uh, that. Yep. But that was those were the best teachers I had were the ones who were fresh. (laughs) When I say fresh, I mean the ones who had fresh ideas. Yep. And new ways of doing things. Willing to change. Yeah, and willing to try different things. Yep. Um, And I think some of the, I think some of the yeah, when I say the worst teachers, I don't think I really actually ever experienced a bad teacher. Yep. Usually the people I didn't like with the relief teachers. Uh, I love my relief teachers. I don't because some of them are too, like, okay, this is off topic and not really important, but the relief teacher would always be really overly strict. I think it's because mm-hmm. they were scared that, you know, they don't want to be the one who causes yeah. any issues. Um, but quickly, just finishing, I think the teachers who were not my favourite were the ones who were stuck in very old ways. Yep. For example, we were a BYOD school, bring your own device. Yeah. Mm. And some teachers didn't really embrace that. Oh, right, I right. think... We were moving into a new way of doing learning, which was utilizing new tools. Yep. And there were some teachers that just absolutely didn't embrace that. Yep. Prevented you from using those tools. Um, And and that was annoying for me because it's like, I don't want to, (laughs) I don't want to be copying notes off a board onto, into onto paper. Yeah. Because you said that it's what I need to do. Um, Yep. That's not how education should happen. And on the other hand, the better teachers, in my opinion, or the ones who embraced your style of learning, whatever that was, and made it really accessible. Whether yep. that be sitting down with them and discussing group work, going through different projects or different scenarios. So, yeah. Can I just bring up something? Um, well, I, I've I've gone through like four weeks of my with of my diploma in education, so it's it's barely any time. However, I've received some like theory and um, you know some bits of motivation theory in terms of what makes students think the way they think, you know. Um, And one of the things that Michael said really sparked like a light in my brain. The reason why high school kids or just anyone tends to dislike the presence of um, relief teachers is because we simply don't have, you know, any experience with them and we we simply aren't engaged with them. Um, uh, According to motivation theory, um, we tend to act out because we don't have a re- like the rapport with the with the re- relief teacher compared to the teacher that you see on a day to day basis, you know, and that's why. I definitely think um, people who have a vision of education, which is a teacher stands in front of a class, instructs them, instructs those kids, and then those kids learn content. It's linear. It's effective, I suppose, to some extent, but it loses out on what, what it is we're trying to do, which is to try 
and enable uh, a generation of young people to be able to step out into the world um, and make lives that for themselves, right? And what you lose in that sort of picture is everything that a kid needs to be able to engage in what it is they're learning. Uh, the rapport is definitely a part of it, but it's also like instruction method and stuff like that. Yeah. It's getting into real technical stuff, but I think at the end of the day, envisioning the way we think about education is it's not kids learning and getting out there. No. Although for some people it, it like that vision is really useful because it means that they have structure. It means that they have something that they can constantly aim for to elevate themselves or to push themselves um, into a different part of their lives. I think about like my experience in education all the way back to primary. Um, I was born here, but I was born in Dunedin, which is a very, you know, not culturally diverse place in New Zealand. Um, but even in saying that, my school in Dunedin was incredibly culturally diverse. I had so many people around me just from different backgrounds, like countries. Was that just because there was like one school in Dunedin though? I, I think maybe. I think maybe there's like a bunch of private uniform schools and then there's this one really big public school, uh, George Street Normal School. And that's where all the, like... So everybody went. That's basically wasn't. where everybody went, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, you know, I had people from Jordan. Like, I never thought wow. Jordan was a country. Yeah. I never knew that that was a thing. I never knew Samoa was a thing until I met a kid who literally had come from Samoa, yeah. you know, months ago. And that to me was such a cool experience. Like even in class as a kid, so much of what we do, and this is the thing I think a lot of, you know, going back to Halim coming here as an immigrant, I think that a lot of immigrant families don't understand about education in New Zealand is it's sitting on the mat. You know, working in groups. Mm. But that's the thing that we've had, right? You'd sit in mats, we'd sit on the mat, we'd split off into groups, we'd have discussions, we'd raise our hand, we'd do collaborative work. Yep. That's something that kids in other countries don't do at all, yep. but I think was such a critical thing for me. And a critical thing that I notice is the difference between kids who come here and then kids who studied here for the entirety of their lives. That ability to work with people and to you know, think of things a little bit more broadly than, you know, what it is that's on the page or in the textbook. But what's really disappointing to me is, you know, you have that as your introduction to what learning is and to what school is, you know, you'd work in groups, you'd do a lot of interactive play, you'd have, you know, practical stuff that like we, we learned about um, water evaporation by making popcorn, right? Wow. Like that's one lesson I remember. Hey. Like we learned about water evaporation by going out to the court on a on a on a on a morning and watching all of the puddles of yeah for real right like up. that that ratchet <laughs> shit where you're just out there looking at stuff and doing stuff with your hands yeah, and a, and the, I mean yeah yeah like that was I remember that stuff yeah and you know the disappointing thing to me is like you move up through education and that just narrows itself down like the more you grow the more you're expected to sit down yeah. and test and study and that's fine i think that's necessary because there there's knowledge that you obviously need to advance yourself but it goes back to what my probably biggest grievance is fundamentally which is is school just about knowledge acquisition mm. is it just about filling your brain with more things to move on to the next stage in life or is it a lot deeper than that I think, you know, hitting back on the PYF theme, <laughs> the most valuable thing for me in high school 
was the stuff I did outside of high school. Yep. You know, the stuff I did outside of the classroom. I learned more by being with Michael and Halim and PYF than I ever did in an English class. And that's not to say that my English <laughs> class is bad. It was to say that I found it so valuable to be out there doing things. That, that, I've been thinking why, why we've been having this conversation about a couple of things and obviously where we should take this conversation. Because um, at the beginning you'd brought up some some things about what people people say about education yep. and the state of it today. Um, and maybe we can touch on that, but perhaps that's not even important to maybe what we want to talk about. But I think a good question to ask is what do we want what do we want the education system to do for students? Mm. What what are we wanting what role do we want the education system to play? Because I think there's a couple of possibilities. And one and people feel different about this. And and we see this overseas a lot, especially in the US where you could argue that education system is politicized. Where mm. you say that You've got parents who say it's not the job of the school to teach my student my, my kids morals or to teach my kids about what's right and wrong in the world. Right. Yeah. There's the don't say gay stuff that's yeah. happening in Florida, right? Yeah. There's the critical um, race theory stuff, you know? Yeah. And my immediate thoughts are we all envision a future, somewhere we want to live, what we want the country to look like. And a lot of that a lot of that future will be determined by decisions that politicians make about infrastructure or criminal law, or um, health health changes. But a significant part of that is going to be about who the people are living in that future. And a significant portion of those people are going to be the young people of today. So to me, I think education should be something very holistic. Right. We want to set our young people up for success, and we also want them to believe in the vision that we have for the future. Mm. So I think... <laughs> In a weird, maybe very like futuristic way, we want to bring people. We want to bring young people along in the vision we have as a country. And I'm not trying to link this into other issues that we're involved in, with like Maker 16, for example. But it's about bringing young people along in the journey. Mm. And that's that's not even talking about the actual education part of things, which I think is even more important. And to to be honest with you, I think the the biggest thing I took out of high school was the interpersonal skills I learned. Mm. I have not applied, quite frankly, any of the learning um, from high school. I think some basic English, some basic writing and math skills, but on the physics side, you know, the calculus <laughs> side, the biology side, those are all nice to know things that I now can bring up in conversation. Exactly. But haven't really contributed towards my, my studies or my jobs. So I think a, a key thing for me is teaching young people how to, be with each other, I'd suppose. Be with each other, but also learn for themselves in a way that makes sense to them. Yeah. I, I, I resonate with that last point a little bit. I think the most effective thing that I ever learned in school at any point in time was here are the things you should be doing or here are the things that you want to be doing. How are you going to structure your learning or you know use these resources and tools that are at your disposal to achieve that. I think at the core of it, that's what anything is, right? How are you going to achieve something using the tools that you have? And that to me is what learning, you know, even in a, an academic sense, in a purely academic sense is about. Um, and I'll take another lens on it, which is like, 
it's okay to think that learning is a linear process because for so many people, for so many individuals, learning is social mobility. Learning is advancing, mm. you know, learning is breaking generational and systemic issues so that, you know, you can advance your community or you can advance yourself in a way that you know, empowers you. And so for so many kids in this country or so, so many kids who come to this country, especially immigrant kids, they're told that they're going to school to study and they're going to go to school to study because their parents have worked hard to bring them here to give them that education. Yep. So it's fair for them to say, you know, I don't want this independent stuff. I don't want this group work. I don't want this. I want my grades and I want my degree and I want a job. And I, I think that's fine. I think that's, that is necessary. But I also think it's necessary to say, is that purpose built? Is that relevant to, you know, and this is why I think there's a broader point here, is how the issues that we see in the margins of society trickle down on the smallest scale when you're in a classroom, you know? Is getting a degree the most relevant way to be socially mobile in today's world? Especially when, you know, you have increasing economic inequality, you have all of these sort of existential issues that are at play here. Um, when you have systems that are failing you when it comes to things like mental health, is advancing through education the even, most, worth it. E even worth it? Is it the most purpose-built way to escape, mm. almost? I think the idea... No, no. I, I think the idea that you need a degree to be socially mobile is a prob problematic. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I say as I've failed <laughs> a little bit at uni, getting a degree isn't too hard. Mm. I don't know. I think, um, I don't know about you guys, but when I left, I think it's in the same situation as you, Helene. When I left high school, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I probably should have taken a gap year. I think that would have been good for me. Mm. But I ended up doing engineering, but I also wanted to do law. <laughs> so I was in this tough position that I, I think I'm still in. It's like every time I see a court case come up or every time I read a judgment, I get really excited and interested about that. And I think I've made the wrong decision about studying engineering. Yeah. But I also think that in my engineering, the specialization I've chosen and what I want to do, I can make a big difference in the world the same way I could make as being a lawyer. Yeah. So I think it's about, that, that's really, that's, I, don't, I don't know even why I brought that up, but effectively I when I was in year 13, when I graduated, I had no idea what I was going to do. I applied to a bunch of different degrees, mm. not even knowing what I wanted mm. to do. So I guess the question about like, oh, oh, this whole thing about social mobility is that there's probably people who are not in a great position in a socioeconomic position and their family, and they want to change it for the family and they don't even know how that's possible. And I think going to university isn't necessarily... Any way to do that, and I, and I don't think it should be the way to do that. I think that's that's kind of <laughs> problematic. Yeah, like I said, it's problematic. Yep. Yep. Um, well, I think these days it's becoming more of the norm for you to either take a gap year and just figure out where you're going in life, and really wanting to know what you want to do in life because life is a it's a long game. You know, it's it's not it's not like a short battle or a short sprint. You got to really know what you want to do mm. and you, it's got to be in a really healthy sustainable way um 
I'm just going to bring up two people from my family. Um, and they're my cousins, my younger cousins. One of my cousins has fully just like gotten rid of uni. Um, she didn't attend year 13. And she's now at attending like a makeup school thing in um, down in K Road, I think. Um, her family at first wasn't fully supportive, but now they're fully on board because they see how how happy she is and how she could possibly like possibly make a living out of this later on. You know, she now has an Instagram where she posts different types of like looks for her makeup, and you know, we, we shall see where it goes, I guess. But I think it's it's another way into, you know, the social hierarchy. Um, another one is uh, my cousin, another one of my cousins. It's not really an apprenticeship, but he's under the tutelage of my uncle. Um, my uncle made his own, like, career. He's a plumber, um, and he did that on his own. So it's like, it's a trade thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now my cousin works under him, and they... They just work together and he learns on the job, I guess. And I think that's really, like, brilliant. If you don't think that uni is for you, like, because, uh, sorry, uni or high school, like, sometimes internals and externals can be, like, the breaking point of some some students. I flat out didn't attend some externals because I knew it would destroy me. <laughs> um, but I get it. I, I get why these two did leave high school midway through because um, it didn't... It, they clearly saw, like saw that it wouldn't benefit them in the long run. Yeah. I mean, Mike, you brought up America just a while ago, and then you brought up that thing about, you know, a vision for the future. As much as, you know, it's failed to deliver it, the idea of a minute, uh, an American dream, you know, mm -hmm. and that being encapsulated in your education, it's life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, <laughs> whatever. I don't give a shit. Right. But it's like, I think in New Zealand as well, people say we suffer from tall poppy syndrome. I think it's because there's a vacuum there where it's like kids don't aspire or as a country, we don't aspire to do great things. And I think, you know, whatever, culturally, that's our position in the world. It trickles down into the way kids perceive themselves and they perceive their peers. Try hard, right? Or doing too much, which is really sad. And I think that then flows into, you know, things like bullying, things like, you know, you have kids who are so afraid of, attending externals because of their distorted sense of self-esteem um, that they just don't want to go, right? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, this just brought up a thought that the idea of success for everybody we assume is the same when yeah. we go to school. Exactly. We assume the idea of success to everybody means the exact same thing. And when you when you consider a university i think i think high school students are are influenced by their parents in a significant amount and i'm not i'm not even saying influenced in the sense that they believe what their parents believe but the fact that their parents sh shift and shape how students feel yeah and that may not be in the positive correlation it no. may be in the negative correlation where you see your parents and say i'm not going to be like that yep. yeah or, or you see them and say i want to be like my dad or mom yeah. or whatever so i think that every student comes in having a different idea of what success means to them but then they're all forced into the same system where mm, success yes. has to mean this one thing. Yeah, And I think that flows on to what success means for the future and what people want to do in the future. So if your, your vision of success doesn't line up with what you need to do in, in high school or university, then you're, you find, it is a big challenge to get from point A, you know, where you are now yep. to, your, to your dream. Yep. Yeah. Success isn't a linear thing. Like 
like like it's like education. It's it's fucking difficult to to go from year one to pri- year one primary to all the way to graduating uni. Yeah. My line definitely was not straight. Like I I failed three papers in uni, and I'm not afraid to say that because I want to normalize the culture that hey, it's fine to fuck up and it's fine to make mistakes. I'm smirking at Halim only because I failed the same paper. Mul- I failed the same paper multiple times, and that's okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty disappointing, and I, that's fine. I, I just wanted to because I once Halim, uh, once and I was talking about the American Dream. I just wanted I switched it up, and because I, I love when they say that in the movie, and it's like mm. so. Here's what it says. I think I think it relates to what I was just saying. The American Dream, the belief that anyone, regardless of where they were born or what class they were born into, can attain their own version of success right. in a society in which upward mobility. Is possible for everyone. Uh, Here's that's what I want to hit on, right? This emphasis on success exactly. is education even meant to make you successful? Is that the emphasis or the central purpose, or is is that a false like, you know, a false thing that we sort of push into our systems based on the demands that wider society pushes onto younger generations? My proposal is this: education. When you go to school, your focus shouldn't be about being successful. And this goes to our systems as well. Our focus shouldn't be on making students successful. Our focus should be on making students capable. Exactly, yeah. Capable to achieve the success that they envision for themselves. Yeah. And that isn't, that, that isn't the main that focus. Isn't the, that isn't the case, no. I imagine education... I imagine your life as... Like, let's say we're all these grains of sand falling from the sky. Or yeah. water drops falling yeah. from the sky. We're all placed in different positions. And we're in those different positions because of where we were born, but also where we want to be. And mm. we're trying to move ourselves to different places as we fall down from the sky. And then you get all these massive institutional systems that are pretty much like funnels. Yes. And they shove yep. you all into the same spot yep. to try to, in air quotes, make you more successful mm-hmm. or make you upskill you. Mm. But really what it does is puts everyone back in the same position yep. where... Some people aren't going to best succeed. Some people are. Some people are already heading for that, and they're going to go right through and make it succeed. Other people, that's not going to work from them. Work for them. And when we talk about being born into a bunch of different situations with a bunch of different resources and, and opportunities, I don't think it's fair to expect that two people starting uh, starting secondary school at the mm. same time are going to have the equal tools they need or equal opportunities they need, so that when they leave, done with their five years, are in the same position and yeah. can do the same things. And to some extent, there's a recognition of that in the way we structure education in New Zealand. Um, that recognition of, look, they're less philosophical, more tangible and material that people are born into different situations. Economic inequality exists, so we have to you know, supplement that. We have to build equity into the system. We used to have decile ranking. Does it no longer exist? No. So wow. the government has now moved to a new equity index. Right. And it's, it's, it's very similar to um, decile rankings where you get scores and stuff, but deciles, this is really like mathy, yep. it's, it's discrete groups. Um, so schools will be grouped. One to three. Yeah. yeah. And not only does that fail to recognize some very complex needs that and challenges that schools at lower deciles face, mm. um, you know, it, it doesn't go into like, feeding or funding the stuff that needs to change in order to make make stuff happen. So they have an equity index now, which is more of a continuous curve where it's like, okay, you know, schools can be across multiple deciles. Like you can be in decile four or five, um, but you still might be in a position where you need funding to support some 
students who are still challenged at school. I think that's a, a nice way to think about it, where, you know, you have complex needs and challenges. And I say this all the time. You have complex needs and challenges. You need to solve these problems in different ways than what you're doing right now. It's not about reinventing the wheel or rethinking about our entire approach here. Because I don't think that's necessarily the thing that we have to do. It's nice to shift our mindset in some ways. But I think if you have problems that you're not solving day in and day out for decades new approaches and new ways of working at them are the only thing you can do because when you have lives at stake when you have futures at stake when you have people at stake there's no way that you can just pause and then try again and saying that though um one thing that's really important to me at least in my high school experience is i had a covid disrupted high school experience which i think is important for kids all across the world because the biggest thing I take away from that is this thing that we're talking about right now. When you're suddenly removed or taken outside of the classroom, what exists in school? What is there? And to me, the one thing that was positive or the one thing that worked for school disrupted by COVID when you were at home and learning remotely is not even the learning itself. That was horrible. I hated every second of that. It's the fact that school is some of the only community or family that some students will ever find. Those friends that they have, those teachers that they build rapport with, are some of the only people they'll interact with outside of their homes. And that, to me, is the most valuable part. Because you'll learn so much more about yourself and the person you want to be in an environment where <laughs> you have people supporting you than you will ever in an environment where there's only a focus on being educated, right? That's like school and, and cliches. I love cliches. A village raises a child. Your school, your education is so much wider and so much broader than anything that would happen inside school. School needs to adapt to acknowledge that reality and say, what sort of services are we providing for our children? We're not academic institutions anymore. We're community institutions. No, but you, we put ourselves, you, this, that's a tough, I mean, no, no school's ever going to say that when, like you say, parents aren't interested in that. Exactly. Mm. Or when our entire, you know, structural uh, hierarchy is based around educating children. So I was just looking into the, Equity Index, mm. uh, whatever it's called, um, and it's, it looks like it looks a very interesting approach. Effectively, is the decile system, but instead of the location in which the school is based, yeah. it's based on the students who are there. Exactly, it's based on a couple of key indicators and key markers. So um, what, what they've done is they've looked over the past twenty years. They said they averaged pretty much. We would the three of us would have all been included in that data. So they mm. would say, what were the what were the what were the t what I guess what were the socioeconomic tags and that you could apply to each of us, mm. and how did we succeed or not succeed? What was our result? Yeah. And what they do is they average all those people out over the last twenty years, and then they say, for a person, for example, who matched my socioeconomic tags in another school, they are, they're proportionally on this on this on this level they were at this point, and then that school gets funding based on that. Right. 
Um, but what I was more interested in is what do schools do with the extra money they get? Because they're still limited in what they can use it for. A school can't just get more money and go, we're going to redesign a program to help support people. Um, no, they have a curriculum to exactly. follow. They have standards so to meet. The idea that extra funding equals extra output or extra opportunity is just wrong. Yeah. And either the Ministry of Education needs, the Ministry of Education needs to focus more on actually figuring out what helps people Yeah. rather than just adding more teachers or adding These are, are Band-Aid solutions. Or MOE needs to say, we're going to let schools figure out what's best for the people at their yeah. school. And this is, a, sorry to cut you off. I hate board of trustees. I love board of trustees. I hate them. Well, I don't, I don't hate them in that, like, I think it's good for a school to govern, have a level of governance over itself. I hate the idea that, you know, it's, once again, it's so up to, you know, your area socioeconomic standing as to who is representing you on that board mm. and who are making those decisions for those kids in those schools. Um, there's been like ideas or talks about approaches where you have you know, joint joint boards yes. across schools in a Kali. given area, like hubs or something. So this has already exists. It's called the Kahuyaku. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea is that schools in those groups would join together and have a singular board. Yeah. And that the funding could be more, like, for example, you may have an intermediate, a primary, and two high schools. And that the funding doesn't have to apply to each school individually, and you no, can group no, that together group that and say, in one particular year, we need a stronger focus on this at this school. Mm. Yeah. And that they could move some of that over there. And, and pr pretty much, the and this is goes towards, I think, what, what I would prefer to see, is a system where you consider a student's journey through through the education system from the beginning of when they're required to be there to the end of when they're required to be there. A cohesive plan. Yeah. So the intermediate can say the students starting at our school are not meeting mm. these specific uh, standards. There's a lot more continuity yes. throughout all of that, right? And there would be a lot, probably a little bit of a larger board, um, more staff involved, mm. and it would be more significant planning in communities about how students transition from, for example, in, in our area, Block has to be primary, block has to be intermediate, Linfield College. That yeah. was a hugely common pattern for people. Mm. Yeah. So how do those three schools work together to make the best for students? Because at the moment, they don't. <laughs> you you mentioned Kahuyako. I think I've been involved in some yeah. at some level with... So when we were in um, year 13 in exec, mm -hmm. uh, we started a sort of like a, a Haora task force um, sort of to bring students from like a wide representative body, ran, almost randomly selected, but, you know, we wanted to hit certain benchmarks of which students were being represented there. Um, and they'd come together and they'd work on some very complex discussions uh, about, you know, how to and well-being in school, which I loved. I, I loved the idea. I loved the continu like continuity. Once again, the only thing that interfered, interfered with it was school itself. <laughs> um, and I think in around term two or three, that project got integrated into a wider uh, Kahuyoko work program around Haora throughout schools. Uh, and one of the key deliverables was this sort of web app or portal for primary and intermediate students to work on their Haora and well-being while, like, you know, in groups and stuff like that. Which I think was awesome, you know? Like, that's a, a way to bring students from all of these different schools and different backgrounds and different ages 
alongside teachers, mind you, not adults designing this for students, students and yep. teachers negotiating those needs yes. together and then producing something that works for all of them. Yeah, I, I was also involved in a like a, a session where we, I don't know if it was random or if they'd considered who was involved, but there was a broad range of students involved in this process and we all brainstormed together and thought about what we thought about. It, it was pretty cool. Um, but also, not not cooler than that, but also cooler than that is that teachers, I don't think often get to, in, in, a, re, in a structured, effective way, get to talk to teachers at other schools and share things. No. no. So the, the kahoyako was also there for teachers to connect. Yep. Even if the, because at the moment I don't think those board, that governance thing structure exists. where they It's not been it. implemented yet. It's more like a working group. I'm not quite sure uh, what the situation is, but I do know that teachers at, at my school met like Mount Roscoe grammar teachers yeah. and met with even intermediate teachers. And yeah, they discussed, yeah. I think largely about mental health was a big topic back mm. then. Um, it still is. It, yeah. it still very much is. Probably yeah. the biggest thing that teachers have to deal with yeah. right and now. Obviously, Helene will be able to tell us in the future how well he <laughs> feels upskilled to deal with that. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, I think that connecting teachers across schools is a good way to, number one, upskill the teachers, but also get them to share ideas. Maybe Ross School's doing something that Linfield should, tr should try. Uh, I'm just going to jump on that. Ross School, I think, has already integrated this Kahui Ako system mm. a while back. Yeah, um, I remember... In my early high school education, like when I was in high school, um, they would often talk about it in, in, in assemblies and how students can get involved, even staff too. I'm not sure about the staff, um, the staff side, but for the students, uh, I think students year 12 to year 13 are able to go into the primaries and act like a mentor to the primaries, uh, to my primary students, and then you know have some discussion about what you know how they're going in primary. Um, and I remember, I think they mentioned like, you know, the literacy and numeracy rates between the intermediate kids and how they're going to transition to the grammar, Mount Russell grammar. Um, and I think it's a brilliant way to, you know, go on about how you can fix solutions in the long run when it comes to, yeah. you know, issues like liter like low literacy or low numeracy um, issues. Yeah. I just like to go a little bit meta here and just contrast, you know, a conversation like this which sort of integrates our lived experience with sort of what we know theoretically to what I hear is like broadly is the conversation that people have about schools. It's, oh, kids are not attending school. It's the parents' fault. And it's obviously a very common thing about any complex social issue. You're going to have people who simplify and, you know, villainize people who and, and people who obviously don't know what they're talking about at the end of the day. And what I think is really important here is to recognize that for younger people in school or who have just recently graduated school, the reason their voices are so important is they might not have the solutions at hand, right? No, I don't think anybody does. But the reason it's really important to have things like kahuyaka or, you know, spaces where these discussions are had is because like any good governance representing a voice that's affected by that system directly is the only way to really get at sort of the roots of why that system might be failing. Um, and, you know, I, I really hope they sort of formalize Kahuyako as something that 
you know, schools do, yep. right? I don't like the idea that we have a board of trustees that's elected by basically no one. I'm sorry, and is not very broadly representative. No. I wouldn't say the board of trustees at Linfield College was representative of, you know, it was certainly representative of parents, um, some larger community interests. That's far away from the students at my school. Yep. You know, the people I care about. Um, yeah. I think, obviously, there are some things that we have to be doing in education broadly. Uh, paying teachers more, I think, is a good thing. They're paid awfully. And it's so frustrating as someone who is going into that um, industry. I think I did, like, a like a quick Google search. And I think the... Um, the the annual um, salary of a teacher is around like fifty five thousand, fresh out of uni, which is it's livable, but like for the work that they do, it's not quote unquote worth it. They're like, working forty plus hours a week. They do more hours than they're expected to. So a salary is when you know they they pay just on a yearly basis mm. forty hours a week. They do far more than that. Um, I had my, I had a teacher that I knew, Mr. Cheetah, who knows if he'll listen to this or not, probably not. He, d <laughs> he did, he did statistics. Um, but he would tell me that in his first three years of teaching, he would do 70 hours a week, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, and in these 70 hours, he does like a lot of lesson planning, um, finishing, like marking the assignments uh, on time and whatnot. It's hard being a P1 to P3 teachers. Uh, these are the years that you start off with. Um, obviously, you get less work as a P1 to P2 teacher, but the work that you do, insane for the pay that you get. It's yeah. frustrating. So I just quickly looked at the, the salaries on the education website because I'm just quite curious. And there are five salary groups for different teachers. Yep. And they range depending on what qualification you have. Yep. So the lowest one... The, an example of a school salary group one, the example is a diploma in a in a topic, yep. and the highest one is a master's or PhD in a topic. Yep. And the salary band goes from $51,000 to $90,000. Yep. Um, so your band Bachelors. is a ban is band three plus because you do a bachelor degree and a postgraduate diploma. Yep. So your band is fifty five to 90000 I think that's incorrect because I, it's, it's not considered a postgraduate diploma. It's as a graduate diploma. It's Bachelor of Arts and Graduate Diploma of Teaching. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I think your band would be three plus. Okay. And there's seven different spots in that band right. that you can go over your time. So mm. but for, in my opinion, I think 55,000 is way too low just yeah. for a starting salary for a teacher. What's the median income in New Zealand? What's the like the, the, the minimum living? So... Um, You the medium income for workers in New Zealand is $61,000. So you're being paid below median. That's crazy. A. And the living salary is 41000 Okay. Yeah. You're still only like 10000 up. This is, you know, this is my thing. This is my thing. Mm. Education is a fundamental tool for how we help. It's a fundamental tool for how we, how we develop and produce, really, how we produce people for the future. Yeah. yeah. We want a strong future of strong um, learners, strong thinkers, people who are able mm -hmm. to survive anything that might hit them. Mm -hmm. And we've got people 
like yourself, Halim, have gone to uni, assumedly probably got a student loan. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you go into teaching yep. to try to help people become better. Yeah. And and I think do service for the country in the same way that someone in the army would do. Yeah. And then the government chooses to pay you less than the average person in New Zealand. So here's my like here's my very not thought out solution to education. Sure. Payments. If you go if you become a teacher, if you if you are a teacher for at least as many years as you studied, your student loan is wiped out. You get paid more. <laughs> you should be paid more. And there should be I'm not sure about, I'm not sure how I feel about performance based pay because that is there's definitely issues yes. with that. But I think that performance is important and you, your value should be measured like any yep. other job. Yeah. And maybe that's just around changing the parameters around what performance you're assessing. What? Is it now? We're starting? What, what did you just say? Well, I thought it was good to tell everyone that we took a little bit of a coffee break <laughs> inadvertently <laughs> because. Yeah, so the audio recording stopped. Uh, and now after like. 15, 20 minutes of mucking around. We're here. We're back. Well, we're having some chocolate-covered uh, cashews. cashews. Mike's got a coffee. Oh, Mike and Helene both have a coffee. I don't drink coffee, um, but I'm still insane, so I don't know what that says about me. It's okay. Um, Ooh, it's not very good coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, for anyone listening, you guys already know what we were talking about, which was yes. the performance-based stuff. Performance-based pay. And you didn't think it was a good idea. Oh, no, we d- both didn't, nobody thought it was a good idea, but there was some performance. Measure. There's some merits to assessing how well a teacher does. Yes, and we were talking about how we need to change what those measures are. What does success or performance mean, right? Exactly. And that just goes back to this entire conversation that we're having is what is the core of education? What are we trying to do here? And I think what we're hitting at is a bigger picture, which is clearly there are some... Okay. Clearly what's happening here is a lot of the failures in education are failures of us to address wider societal problems mm. um i think an em- <laughs> mike's just giving me a look oh really um i think an emphasis on competition and individual achievement once again has its merits but does not go back to what we're talking about which is we want to build capability in our students we want to be able to address more complex issues we want them want to provide an environment that is here to achieve a lot more then he's had a fucking coffee and he's going crazy. No, I'm, just, I'm just I'm indicating that I'm supportive of that. Okay, Hallelujah. Cool. Yeah. Praise that no, we were not. <laughs> yeah, um, Praise me the old Jesus. Um, okay. All right. Really back back on track. <laughs> um and what we're hitting on here is look, we're happy with stuff like, you know, changing to an equity funding model. We're happy with, you know, Kahuyako. But what we want to see is a recognition from MOE and the governance of you know public schools in New Zealand that it takes a village to raise a child. Mm. There's an aspiration and a vision for the future that we want to achieve as a country. Um, that's what we want to instill our kids with. Uh, and the way we do that is so different to what we think should be happening right now. Right. And, you know, it, this solves exactly what everyone complains about, that kids are not showing up to schools. They're not showing up to school because the way we educate them is not engaging them right now. No, it might have engaged them 15 years, in the future, uh, 15 years in the past. Post-COVID, this new generation, they want something different. They need something different. 
the challenges that we face are different, so we need to prepare them differently. Yes. Let me pose an alternative. Go on. He always does this. No, but I, <laughs> it's because you're, you're on this side, I'm on this side, and I'm a little bit of a devil advocate. But when you say people aren't showing up for school because they're not engaging, is that not like a very... No, no, no. See, that's, that's bad. I didn't mean it like that. I think there are complex issues outside of school that stop kids from coming to school anyway. Yeah. But I'm saying that there are still kids in school who, you know... We, we talk about streaming a bunch, right? Mm. It just oh, I talk I talk about streaming a bunch because I, I, I thought you were talking about live streaming. For no, 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 no. <laughs> streaming as in streaming like as in like C stream, B stream, A stream. Yes. Yeah, our advanced class, non advanced class, which is like you're in advanced class, you have this perception built around you that, mm. um, you know, the you, idea that you're already smart results in you being more successful inherently because you believe in yourself, and that we the school is going to give you more investment and resources well, to achieve that when actually. They give you no more, and like genuinely, and then feel they don't. I, they, they don't give don't. me they any more. There was investment. nothing extra. I think that the way you feel about yourself is so important about the outcomes you get. It like it's that classic thing where it's like if you put a student in a high achieving environment and tell them that they're smart, that they're going to fail inevitably in the future. Yeah. Or, or what about the? Uh, I'm I'm more meaning if you get doctors to perform the same activity, one wearing a lab coat and one not wearing a lab coat. The one wearing a lab coat thinks they did better and therefore feels better about themselves and then actually has a higher out, higher chance of yeah. a better outcome because they feel better about themselves and what they're but, doing. But, Imagine if schools were focused on supporting students in every way. Yes. Meaning that they felt like they were could do well. Could do things. You know, they could than, aspire to their vision of success. Rather than the students knowing. Because I, I was... I, <laughs> Not all my friends were smart people. Like, you know, I had friends who were in advanced class and who told me, I'm really shit at this. I can't do it. I but don't, they're, I'm more, they're more than capable of doing, and the things that they are capable of, I would never be able to do. Yeah, or, or the same, they're literally and capable of the same things. It's just that nobody said, you were ever able to do this. Yeah. Yeah. You were going to say something, Hilary? Yeah, so <clears throat> I was going to bring up like a, an anecdote about my experiences when it came to the streaming system and how know how that really shaped my viewpoint into my place in in high school me and a friend zane chowdhury he probably has been mentioned <laughs> name, name drop, drop. <laughs> uh, um remember, sorry remember back in our first, first episode, episode. Yeah, anyway. um we were both placed in c stream c stream was basically known as you know quote unquote the dumb kids and the c stream students had different content than the B and A stream students. The B and A, a stream students had the same content. However, the A stream students would learn them faster and they would get like a sprinkling of extra bits, but ultimately it would be the same. I felt so crap mm -hmm. about being in C stream. Yep. So initially you would have to take like a pre-test before yep. you go into year nine. Yep. And I think I blundered that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, and that's your whole destiny decided for you? Exactly. After but one test? Like, what, sorry, but and like, what outcomes have changed? What are they? Ex when I was in high, uh, intermediate, there was no major focus on saying, like, we want to put, it, was, it wasn't, so uh, if we go back, you don't want to be in C-Stream. No, you want to feel all. good about how yourself and you want to be able to be challenged with the work that you're doing. It ultimately, like, dropped my self-esteem right. incredibly. And uh, I, it, like, affected my mental health. Yeah. And which in intermediate nine. did you go to? Uh, Mount Roscoe Intermediate. So there was no one in the intermediate talking about streaming. 
Not right? at all. It was just, here's a test you have to do. Exactly. Yeah. So you're happy and intermediate. You feel like life's good. Then you get into C-Stream and you're told that you're dumb. You're dumb. Exactly. And, and that that hurt me. Well, this, this is the problem oh, with streaming, yeah. right? Like, not only does it, you know, it's a reflection of, okay, what are the current gaps that have existed in education always? Let's just segregate that now. Like, <laughs> let's just- that's worked in the past. That's worked in the past. Let's just divide <laughs> these students up and say- and yes, it's it's it, there are clear racial and ethnic lines when yep. that happens. Yeah. Some students, immigrant students, Maori and Pacific students, don't have those same achievement statistics because we're telling them that, you know, with the streaming yeah. shit. And, and usually I would be skeptical to agree with that, mm. but I was in a top stream class and I know who was in my class and there was a very clear unbalance given that our school was more than half non-white. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It was significantly... More white students. Yeah. yeah, and I was in a C stream class, and I would say eighty percent of the people in the C stream class were Pacifica students. Um, and that's not me saying their level of education is no, any different. It's, it's speaking from your experience, exactly. It's it's yeah, th and this is what we need to talk about. Like, this is this is the uncomfortable reality of being educated in New Zealand or anywhere in the world is the things that are happening outside of a school have such an impact on the way schooling is done that to think that those are two separate yeah. realities is yeah. a fantasy. It's a fiction. It's fucking stupid. And because the external factors are influencing the school's decision-making, the school in, in, inadvertently perhaps actually perpetuates some of the issues. issues. Exactly. And that's why reorient mm. that focus, that mission, reorient mm. the decision-making structures and the resources and tools schools can leverage do break those cycles. You know, in intermediate school, we had this program where you would have the people who are struggling to read and understand the text and answer questions about it. I think most people could read. Yeah. But I think people were struggling to discuss the, the issues yeah, in the yeah. book yeah. and whatever. Yeah. So they would partner the higher students, mm. the higher level education students. On this particular issue, don't forget that in intermediate, there were people who were really good at maths and who were really bad at English. Yeah. And they that was, like, for me, for example, I was in the highest maths group, but not in the highest English group. Mm. That changed. And then I became a buddy with somebody who wasn't able to fully mm -hmm. talk and discuss the issues in the book. So we would spend 30 minutes reading through the book and I would ask questions on the sheet of paper and we would yeah. discuss it together. Imagine if education wasn't about being the best or worst, but actually about helping each other as yep. well. Yep. That's what I'm talking about yeah. when it's about community, when it's about work, like learning to work with each other rather than against each other de-emphasizing success and competition. Mm -hmm. What's the alternative to that? The alternative to that is collaborative. The alternative to that is working alongside each other, working in teams to achieve goals, which is really what reality yeah, I've is. I've never had a job where I sit there by myself and I'm responsible, and nobody, and I don't work with anybody else. Exactly. Yeah. And the problem with that hierarchical competitional system where you're streaming students, it's isolating, man. 100%. It's isolating. If you're a student at a top stream and you're told you're smart all your life, you know, and you suddenly fuck up something. Yeah. Reality check. Imagine yeah. the self-perception yeah. change. Why do we think students fuck, uh, have fucked mental health? Yeah. It's because of shit like that. And then you're when you're told that you're just like everybody else, you don't deserve to be the advanced class. Not only do you hate the students on top for nothing that they've done, you know, you feel shit about yourself yeah. as well. Yeah. So why should you be invested in school anyway? Mm. Why should you care? And I know people, there are people out there who would say, oh, this is all wishy-washy. People need to grow up and learn how to just get on with life. No. Fuck off, no. To some point, to some degree, I, I do agree that life is tough and we do need to overcome challenges. Yeah. But what is school about? It's about learning how to overcome those challenges. Schools together where you're allowed to make mistakes. Exactly. 
And I think, like, maybe if you told me at the beginning of this conversation that I would be coming out with an idea that education should be focused on supporting students and how they feel, I would be like, gosh, Dan, I'm a Republican. <laughs> Screw how the kids feel. But now I'm, That's I'm, some woke nonsense. I'm starting, yeah, exactly. But now I'm starting to actually realize, and drawing back on my own experience, the way that you feel about how you're doing at school or how you are in a position at school impacts significantly how you, how you perform. And see yourself yeah. as a person, right? And therefore how you, how you feel and how, what your mental health is like and therefore what your, mental, your physical health is like. Oh. I'm just going to jump on that and back Michael up on that situation with another theory. Oh, that's rare from Halim. With, a, with, a, <laughs> with another theory. Um, this, is, this is another one that I've learned recently within the past week or so, and it's called the self-determination theory. Um, and this describes and illustrates how a student's motivation is directly proportionate to a student's competence, relatedness, and autonomy to the education that they're getting. Mm. So competence um, describes how a student isn't, like, is challenged enough. So the content isn't too easy, where they feel like they're top of the world or, like, king of the content, or is not too far challenged where they feel like, you know, they're... It's impossible. They exactly. Yeah. Um, relatedness means that the the professor or the teacher cares about them on an emotional level. So it's not this disconnect where here have this worksheet and work it out. There's some sort of connection and rapport. Mm. Um, and the third being autonomy. So it's not like authoritarian and they yeah. have some yeah. sense of control within the class. If a student wants to suggest something within the class, it'll be, you know, taken in, you know, yeah. And actually hilariously, <laughs> there was a specific, I won't name names because I think this teacher ended up having to leave the school. Oh. Because of their because of their performance, okay, I think is my understanding. I, I'm speculating here, but that teacher was one of my favorite teachers because they didn't know everything, mm. Mm. and we had to work together, the whole class with the teacher. That's fucking fantastic to figure the answers out. I think that's fantastic. It was because you learned so much it was, more. Yeah, it was the best class I had because we would go in, we would do the work, we would talk through. There would be questions all the time. The, the rule was, if you have a question, don't put your hand up. Just ask. Just yeah. say, yeah. hey, ex-teacher. <laughs> I don't <laughs> um, understand this. Well, not even that. It's like, well, why does that happen? What about this? Yeah. And often, uh, the teacher would do an equation or write something um, up on the board. Uh, it was a physics, physics class. And it would be wrong. And we would be like, sorry, miss, that's wrong. Yeah. And she'd look and go, why is it wrong? Mm. And we'd be like, even if she was lying, that would be a good thing. Like even if she's pretending that it was wrong, because a student would go, oh, and you, you get these, you get these students have no self confidence and won't. Well, like you can tell they know it's wrong, but they won't say anything. And eventually, it became so common that we would be like, yeah. anyone would be like, Miss, I think that's wrong. And I don't know about you guys, but I hated talking in class because I'm so scared of being wrong, uh, especially in some more of the high, you know, advanced oh, yeah, classes. Yeah. I would be like so stressed because I'd be like. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and I'll never forget, Mr. Isdale, one of my favorite teachers, he asked me a question. I had no idea how to answer it. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I was just staring at the board and he had solved a previous question in a different area of the board. And I looked at it and he stopped everyone in the class and said, okay, everyone stop. Look at Michael. What's he doing? <laughs> He's looking at the board. That's okay. You, If you don't know a question, use the knowledge you've learned before to solve. And I was like, Thank you, Mr. Isdale. I was like, thank you, but also... <laughs> Affirmation. But also, like, big shout out to someone like Mr. Isdale. 
I loved his class yeah. because his approach was, you know, we're going to take some really complex topics that even adults can't, you know, work yeah, lots with. Of, yeah. Lots of adults struggle with. And you as kids are now going to learn these. Yeah. So or, it's hard. Or, or attempt to learn them. Or attempt to learn them. It's hard. It's challenging. But we're doing it together, so that's okay. And the way we're going to do it is that no one in this class knows more than the other person. If I ask you to answer a question, please do that. Um, because it's for your learning. And think about the sort of culture you're trying to create there where it's not adversarial, right? We, we've talked a lot about beyond academic stuff, right? We've talked a lot about community. We've talked a lot about, you know, the complex challenges that students face. But let's just talk about the learning itself, mm. the academic, like the academics itself. The core of it is about curiosity. The core of it is about being passionate and engaged in what you're learned in, learning enough to want to continue studying it. That does not happen in an instructional environment. I think the thing to acknowledge here is, I've brought this up before, we have a system that originates in a British colonial past. Um, and so, Just so you're aware, I'm looking at Snart with absolute skepticism now, but continue. <laughs> no, no, no. So what I'm saying is that those approaches have tried to evolve and adapt yeah. to I, where we are today, and they're not I, fit for purpose. I definitely agree with you. Education system as we know it was yeah. developed a long time ago exactly and the, the thinking here is that you know a lot of people will call this woke a lot of people will say it's garbage but it's like ideas like te ao maori thinking about learning and the world in a holistic way you know in a collaborative mm. way you know in uni we have a class about it right we have a lecture about it well, and half, it's like half a, half a course half a it wasn't even half a course for me. I had oh. a single, like two oh. lectures about it, Whoop. which is really shit, yeah. but because I really enjoyed it. But a lot of kids will be like, oh, this is pointless. Why are we learning this? And that's what lots of people did say in that class, by the way. Yeah, and <laughs> the, the reason that is is because it's being delivered in a way that does not do justice to that content, whatever. What I'm saying is, it's like, this is just another way to think, okay, the systems we've had in the past have reached their limits. Mm. What are the ways of thinking, rearranging, or framing the system so that we can engage students the way we need to. Te Ao Māori principles offer a backing to that. And I'd say very much have a lot of overlap with the stuff that we're talking about mm. in comparison to the system that yeah. has come from the past. You know, And this is a problem generally with institutions, mm -hmm. is that they are separate mm. and they're expected to be a cohesive system. I mean, the biggest example is look at the world. Yeah. Uh, the health system, the education system, the justice system, the correction system, they're all linked. They're all linked, but we treat them as independent entities mm, exactly. with little connections between them. When really, in an ideal world, it would be great to just have the system. The and they system. all work together. Uh, obviously, that's not, in reality, that doesn't work. But if you go back to this institutional system, we've got primary school, intermediate, high school, and uh, tertiary. It's like they're all separated, and we've got these arbitrary separations. Yeah. Why does year six end in... Year seven start like that. Why do we go from year eight to year nine? Why is there a big jump? Yeah. Imagine if there was a cohesive system. Mm -hmm. We started school when you were, when you were five. And this goes back to what you're saying. It's about the student's journey. Yeah. The individual student's yeah. journey, which is so different. Yeah. For everyone. To, like you, you need to build that into mm. what you're doing. Mm. I Let's imagine for a second a school where you, where you stay in the school from the age of five to the age of 18. Yeah. Mm. I think there are a few campuses like that. Yep. Like, Roscoe would be a good example. They've got the primary, the intermediate, and the high school. All yep. together, yeah. Still separated though, right? Yes. Yeah. And there's reasons for that, I understand. Mm. But let's imagine a school where you go there for 13 years. 
That's a bit scary to think about. <laughs> but, but how how much better could you be supported as as you move through the different curriculum in the different stages of that school by mentors who might be with you for a long time? Yeah, older students. Exactly, yeah. who are there with you the whole way through. Yeah. Teachers who, who have known you since you were a five-year-old five, yeah. who can now see you as 15 exactly. and see your m- movement and progression. Yeah. It's about mentorship, learning, and imagine the kind of community you could build there mm. with 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 a broad range of people. Um, it sort of sounds like Gloria Vale, but now that's, that's what I'm saying. There are issues, right? And that's why intermediates and, and primaries are all separated. separated but yeah. how could we, you know, if you imagine a school, how can like we that? normalize that into what a mainstream education is? Right? Well, like Mount Roscoe has the backbone for this already, as they're they're already trying to do this system. Um where they have year 12, year 13 students coming into the primary uh, school. Mm. Um, but it needs to be more heavily integrated to actually make it yeah. into reality. Yeah. And this is sort of one of my grievances with um, the people who are trying to do the best for the education system, the people who are trying to fix it, is we put up a lot of Band-Aid solutions a lot of the time. It's, uh, okay, we'll give a pay rise for teachers, right? We won't fundamentally, you know, shift their pay bracket. We'll just give a pay rise for this one. Um, we won't supplement our workforce with any long-term upskilling or anything like that. We'll change our immigration laws temporarily to supplement a shortage. Um, sort of the short-term thinking about how we can solve a problem right now. There's whispers about them them introducing new attendance officers in the school. Yeah. Which is like, you know, the labeling of an attendance officer is bad. From what I hear, it's like someone in the school who's there to build relationships with the community and parents um, to work with students to... Which, which is a step in that direction of being like the school. Yeah. Is no different from the community. Exactly. Yeah. It is the it same It is thing. the community. They're interconnected. This idea yeah. of Kahuyako, this should be a norm. It should be the way we govern schools in our communities. And school, if we think about it, in terms of the infrastructure in our communities, schools are a significant part of life. You, yes. you, you live somewhere, like... It's it's somehow this isolated area that you send your kid to every morning, but... Six hours a day. It's yeah, so but, much but people make that. decisions about where they live. Yeah. Based on which schools are around. Exactly. That's a significant decision for purchases. Yeah. And even people who don't have children, they make decisions about that because they're thinking about children in the future. Yeah. Yep. So... We need to, th- uh, yeah, I go back to this thing. Like, how can we imagine a world or a community where everybody feels like, we were talking about this t- this morning about something completely relevant, but people don't care unless they feel owners. They're, mm. they're the owners of something. Yes. So how yeah. do we give people ownership of the future mm. or education or whatever we want to call it? How should, because really we want everyone engaging in education regardless of whether or not they have a kid there or not. And I and I don't I don't think the solution is you know have a lot of public meetings with interested members <laughs> no. of the community because we're going to run into the same problems again where some hacks will always show up and scream about yeah. the same problems and the people who need to be there in those conversations won't engage because that's not an inviting no. space for them, right? But what if our community our schools weren't just schools? But what if they were community spaces? What exactly. if they were used on the weekends? As, exactly as as what if the services they provided were so much larger than schooling? Schooling, like this is something I've been thinking about as well. Um, they're talking about, uh, you know, libraries. Uh, yeah, at, why do why is why do libraries exist the way that they do? They should be integrated with CAB services. You know, your 
advocacy services at a local board level, your schools, that should be one cohesive, this is what we're talking imagine, about, one cohesive yeah, system. Imagine putting a public library in the middle of a school. That's Beautiful. Or, or that's not, crazy. Not in the middle. Not in the middle. But, but like students- Or building a school right next to a public yeah, library. students get access to- That's their oh, school library. Down at um, Wycliffe Intermediate. They have a massive public, li- public park. Oh, right. Yeah. And yeah. they're able to use that during the day on their breaks. Yep. Yeah. That is the perfect cohesion. Well, not perfect, but that's a, ma- a good example, example of cohesion between- a school and the local council where they get to share those resources. Yeah. And imagine that with a library. Three Kings Primary School was a primary school that I attended. We inter- like we used the, the library. The, f- yeah, the library in the field right across, right? Yeah. The yeah. library is a, a good distance, but like, like I remember me coming in as a year four, year three, we would use the library often to, to learn about the different books and whatnot. Cause we had a limited stock of books yeah. and it, it felt like now thinking back on it, it felt like a really good integration of what a community like space would look like when it yeah. comes to primary or intermediate to, you know, community services. We even used a field to that, mm. you know, is right next to the um, local board office. Obviously we don't want to build massive, massive senders where everything. No, 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 no. But this idea that we can cohesively bring community and edu- like, yeah. The, the idea is that they're one and the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we should design and build based around that. I think there's another thing here to say about, you know, oh shit, what was I going to say? I've completely forgotten. (laughs) No, it's there, it's there. Oh yeah, this idea that like, you know, we put kids into a classroom, they sit there for six hours and they do learning. We're talking about, you know, what is now radically different it's fluid it's more dynamic where kids can work with each other um they understand that they are members of community and this is what i want to sort of get at is when you have that familiarity that integration kids realize that they are part of something bigger than themselves and i think that's like if we're talking about a vision for the future and values we want to instill in our kids that's one of the biggest ones that they have a responsibility that extends beyond themselves, yeah. that they are members of a community that they serve, but that they should expect things from as well. Yeah. That's so important. And it's non-political, you know, it's- <laughs> I'm it's sure somebody, a, will, have somebody will have an issue with it, but it's, it's this idea that, you know, your actions are so much bigger than what happens directly in front of you. Yeah. And I, I imagine a world where maybe you've got your lunchtime seniors uh, you know your your seniors from the community come to the the local library, which is also at the school. Yeah, getting help from the kids who need to know how to because they need to know how to use yeah. their iPad. Yeah, and we do that at Linfield once a year with that uh, caring for community, caring, which is awesome. But I imagine, love that. Imagine that being your curriculum thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think obviously we're talking very aspirationally about changing the education system, but mm. I mean, that's the conversations you need to have. You need to know what you, what we, what you want to have. Take a what, moonshot. We, what you have now. Yeah. And something in the middle is going to be better than what you've got now. What you've got so. now. Exactly. Take a moonshot, aim as high as you can, and then see where you land is better than try and fix the thing that we have right now. I think there's a fuckatogi about this. Pull it up. Go on, go on. Pull it up. But that's what I'm saying, right? Like if there's one value I want, kids to understand it's that they're part of something bigger than themselves that they can contribute to and shape and change um and our our school our schooling should reflect that you know we talk about the absence of a civics education a civics education is not a like a um 
you know, understanding democracy, like understanding democracy, it's understanding government, that. it's understanding policy. No, it's not about that. It's about understanding what it is you and your community want and aspire to be mm. and understanding how exactly you achieve that. That's the story of your life. That's the story of your jur- like your journey throughout life. And we talk about people's visions of success being so different. How do we get students to recognize that that's the case? We give them the tools they need to make a, make the future that they want for themselves, mm. not a future that's predestined by factors that are out of their control. Yeah. You shouldn't have to take a test and then that be the story of your life. That shouldn't predetermine, <laughs> like that shouldn't determine <laughs> uh, the trajectory of your entire fucking life. Yep. Yeah. That's uh, wrong. And I think a key part of whatever the future system is in place is, is giving students ownership of whatever yeah. it may be, the community, their future, their system. When people feel like they can actually, when people feel like what happens to the system they're part of impacts them mm. or they're, they're partly responsible for in a way, mm-hmm. you feel inclined to participate yeah. and, have a, and care about it. So I think, and that's maybe a part of why education, why some people are disengaged from education is because they can't feel that they own their future. Mm. So they don't care what happens. And these changes go hand in hand with tackling the systemic problems that exist anyway. Yeah. It's ridiculous to think that you've got multiple ministries and ministers in government solving siloed problems. Separate issues that are really the same. This is why I talked about a super ministry. It's, it's such a stupid fucking name, okay? But hear me out. It's like if governments want to solve complex intersectional problems, they just Need set up something that solves a problem and they mm. put and pool all of the tools and resources that they need in one place to solve that problem. It's simple. They st- sort of take that approach in their budgets um, nowadays where they're like, oh, we're, we're pooling fun, like money across multiple ministries to solve a single problem. Like... MOJ, MBIE, and MPI all have one pool of funding that they access for a specific thing. But that's just a budget. I'm talking about something bigger, something much more radical. But yeah, what's your um, fucking toki? You have it? Yeah. Go on. Okay, Halim. Do you want me to read it? Halim's quite fluent in Te Reo. Uh, No, no, no. no, It has much better pronunciation. (sighs) I've done two Te Reo classes, but forgive me if I pronounce any words wrong. Faya te iti kahurangi. Aim for the highest cloud so that you miss so that if you miss it, you will hit a lofty mountain. Explain the Fakatoki, Michael. Well, it's what we just it's literally talked what about. Saying. I mean, like, you want to aim so high you want to aim so high, that's where your aspirations are. You want to mm. go for the moon. Yep. But if you miss, you're gonna land on a mountain. Which is better than when you are now. Close to the moon. I don't think we do that as a country. I don't, no, I don't even know what we do. I don't. Pe- pe- I feel, period. I don't even know what we do. Period. I feel like I feel in New Zealand and Aotearoa. You know, we're directionless almost. I think the world is direct directionless. But it's like it's not about having a patriotic or nationalistic thing that we want to aspire to. It's about what do we as New Zealanders want to achieve with each other. That's not instilled culturally in us. Our national anthem reflects some of the values I wish we aspire to as a nation. Peace, compassion. God. Well, let's not get into that. Um, But yeah. So, sorry. 
so yeah, um, I'm just gonna eat one of these chocolate covered. Yeah, so I think what we're seeing here is there's some good decisions being made on a daily basis. There's some promising things, but hopefully what we're aiming towards is a world in which students and their community are one and the same, Mm. that there's a de-emphasis on success as the only, you know, driver of an education. Um, And there's a higher emphasis on building capable, future-proof leaders leaders in our country who can aspire to do what they want. Who also feel like they have, like, a choice in which, you know, their education reflects that. Yeah. Go, Mikey. I'm thinking we bring this to a conclusion. Finish this off. And maybe we can each go around and and answer this one question. Go on. What would you change? What one thing Mm. would you change about the way education system is run today? And the second part is what one thing would you... No, just that. What's okay. the one? What's one thing you would change? That's a good question. Can I start? Yeah, go. I'd get rid of NTA. <laughs> that's okay. That's just a get rid of the education <laughs> okay, system no, no, itself. Okay. <laughs> hear me out. Hear me out. Um, I think standardized te- standardized testing um, is needed. No, not needed, but like, <sighs> well, it's just the idea that testing is a diagnostic, not yeah. uh, not an end, almost. Like you're but, trying to use it to identify problems so that you can address it, not to, you know, determine a final achievement. I just feel as if coming out of high school, NTA didn't really help me whatsoever. Um, you know, learning should be holistic and it should be self-directed. Well, I mean, th- there should be some direction from teachers and whatnot, but mm. it should be on the, the onus of the students and, you know, I feel like in, internals and externals hinder that. Um, you're chasing after 60, 80 credits. You're being destroyed by not achieved or um, you're running away from externals because you're afraid of failure. Ultimately, you know, this whole NCA system, Lollapalooza thing, it really destroys, you know, a student's self-esteem and mental health. It's the res- There's so many issues with NCA. I feel like we as a nation cannot just like dis, destroy this whole like system, but, you know, changing it, you know, ever so slightly every few years or so. It's not the answer. It's I only think. the 20th anniversary of NCA too. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's not been around for very long in the, in the, in the, in the scope of things. Oh. Yeah. Um, but that, that's, that's enlightening in a way that it means that. Once I, again, it's like aspire for something Something like something really high, like fucking destroying NCA. Yeah, and we might end up with something a little bit better. But I think it's much. I think re- like replacing NCA with a better uh, measure of because effectively NCA is just a measure of student achievement. achievement. Yeah, wrong. I sorry. I just well, that's its stated purpose. What yeah. what do you interpret it no, to no, be? No, that's what they. Yeah, that's what they that's designed what they, it for. Yeah, which I think really is misinterpreted. I think from my understanding as a student who has come out of the NCA system, interprets the system as let's rote learn um, and brain dump all the information that we can about homeostasis, write this down on a piece of paper and then forget about it. Yeah, but that, that, uh, well, well, 
You're not learning anything. No, no, but NCA is a measure of achievement. That's what it's designed to do. It's designed to say which maybe a measure of the development. Mm, no, it, it's uh, it's a measure of achievement. No, no, no I'm saying NCA is a measure of achievement. I'm saying we need uh, to shift to a system yeah. that's a measure of development. I, what Helene's saying is is right. Yeah, NCA is designed to be a measure of achievement. What really happens is that it measures achievement that doesn't. Mean much doesn't mean yeah doesn't mean anything yeah if you can write learn something you can forget about it and that gets an, that's an achievement then maybe that, that well that's not that's not really worth it and some students are really bright however they cannot wrote learn well yeah and, and my okay <laughs> I'll go next yeah exams are dumb Woo-hoo. like I don't care about NCA but examinations are really silly yeah nowhere else in the world or in your life do you ever face an exam. No. Fuck's sake, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so my, my thing about education would be remove exams. Yep. Um, there was discussion quite a while ago when they were going to remove NCA level one from yep. the curriculum. It's like what happens happening in stages. Yeah. Schools yeah. are doing it on a needs basis, basically. Yeah. And one of the salute proposed replacements was to spend year 11 doing a like a personal project, not a personal project, but a project around an issue that mm. you, were, you wanted to do. And you would incorporate... A bunch of different parts of the educate, a bunch of different parts of the curriculum into that work program. Mm. I think we've got something like that at um, at Linfield right now called innovative learning. Yeah, um, a class of sixty kids or something. The reviews are mixed. Yeah, um, and I think that's because once again, it's a band aid solution on a larger systemic problem about how we educate kids. Yeah. Right, like. You have some kids who are just doing tests and exams and assignments, and you have these kids doing capstone projects mm. that are interdisciplinary. That's not going to work. It's one or the other, unfortunately. Yep. It has to be a binary. Exams are done, though. I agree. So what's your one thing you would change? Fuck me. Um, <laughs> if you don't have it yet, I can keep talking. I think immediately, can we pay teachers a lot more? <laughs> I really want to pay, like... How much, what's our budget for education in this country? What, what, how much of our national I think budget? It's 5% of the GDP. Why isn't it more? It's quite a bit. It's a f- 5% of GDP is quite a bit. Is it? Oh, okay. Um, let's have a look. Budget 2022, education package is $2 billion mm. and uh, of operating expenditure and one for $855 million of capital expenditure. That capital expenditure bit is like impro- improving school well, infrastructure and stuff like it's that. Just right? It's just building new schools. Like stuff, Linfield yeah. College is yeah. a leaky. Yeah, that's necessary. Yeah. Um, increase that to 10% and pay teachers more. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> that's my big change. I want that to happen immediately. I don't think we're going to have a world-class, radical, you know, paving new ways education system until we have very talented people and leaders thinking that this is a good job prospect. Um. Halim, you are a talented leader. That is why I'm so happy that you're going into education. I want to teach one day. I wish I was paid more to do it, though. Can I add on something? Yeah, yeah. I feel like high school teachers are also undertrained. They're. Mm. I I think the reason why it's only so it only requires one year to be a high school teacher. One year on top of your degree. I don't think that's enough. Most countries require two years to be a high school teacher on top of your degree. And I think I think they reduce the requirement. No, I know, but what I'm saying is, it creates a lot of undertrained teachers mm. because it's not just about SK. SK is subject knowledge. Sure, every every teacher, every learning teacher who is learning to be a teacher, um, 
is trained in their field and they know their subject. However, I think they need more time to be able to grasp how to be able to be teachers, you know, have that knowledge to have those relationships with those students. Genuinely, okay, hear me out. You guys sit in a class, you learn a bunch of theory, same problems as education, okay? Teaching should be an apprenticeship, you know? You do trades. To some degree it is, if you think about it. You're, you you you're, do be a student teacher. I think that should essentially be 90 to 95% of teaching. Yep. Qualification. It should just be an apprenticeship or that's one year of a teaching qualification yep. and the other year is theoretical knowledge. Either way, um, you should treat it like a trade, you know, an essential trade, an essential service that we provide like nursing, um, like tradies, you know, bus drivers. Yeah, but don't get teachers. me started about all the public services that are underfunded, underpaid. Because currently for the teaching um, graduate diploma, it's 16 weeks of being on practicum, which is uninterrupted by theory, which I think is good, but I think it requires far more time. Yep. I've seen some, not to shit on some teachers, but I've seen some fresh teachers who look really confused and lost. And I feel like with more time, they're able to build better exactly. relationships. You shouldn't, you shouldn't go into the field until you've had that hand holding you for long enough. They do receive extra support in their first three years, as I've previously mentioned, yeah. but I still don't think that's enough. Yeah. You know, but yeah, that's my change. Pay teachers more, train them in a more holistic way. I'm not saying that we produce bad teachers in this country because no, not at all. I loved almost all of my teachers. Um, actually, all of them. I never had a bad teacher or, or a bad experience. And they've all had huge impacts on the way I view the world and, and conduct myself. And honestly, thank you to all of them. I don't think I w Like, high school would have been a nightmare without them. Um, or without, you know, my friends or the experiences I had. Education is really important to me because as an immigrant kid, that's what we're told is the way to move ourselves forward a better life a be for a better life yeah. we talk about the american dream that's what the american dream is built the new on. zealand dream <laughs> my new zealand dream is that kids also feel like they have a stake in their education that they can aspire to have a better life but not in the way that it's pitched to us we it, don't have that yet no um yeah i don't know i hope that we can do a better job I hope that, you know, we are in spaces where we're able to make a difference and a change. Halim is definitely, you know, on the fucking, in the fucking trenches. Um, you know, I do some work with young people, but it's a bit harder now. But I hope, you know, in the future we're in spaces or we're with people that agree with us that we can do things like this. Uh, you know, I hope one day the government stops and pauses and is like, we're going to radically transform what we're doing with our future generations. And we want everyone, this is this is a national mission. This is a national project. This is a national moonshot. It's like Apollo. It's like the race to a COVID vaccine. It's everything and anything. It's a fight that we all have to be a part of mm. to make sure that we're doing better. Because this is the most important thing at the end of the day. Let's be real. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Mike, finish it off. Last, last word, last statement. Go study. <laughs> um, I hope more conversations like this happen mm. And the real reality is that One day we're going to be in positions where we, need, where we need to make decisions about the future Yeah. So I hope that others like us I hope others have these conversations like us So that when they need to make these decisions yeah. 
they've had their stores. Yeah. Well, thanks, Celine, for joining us as our very first guest. Thank you. I would love to have you on for future episodes. I, I was just going to say, <laughs> I, will, I would love to be back once I've had some yeah, experience in teaching. part two when let's, you've got a lot more, yeah. yeah. more of your experience. Let's mm. hope this podcast keeps going. I'd love to talk about a bit more. Wow. <laughs> I'd love to talk a little bit more about uni as well. Yeah. No, yeah. agreed. Agreed. Yeah. We didn't touch on that too much. I, I wanted to bring it up, but I wasn't sure what the main subject was. Was this just a high school episode? Uh, high school? Well, it's it no assembly out, required. It turned out that it was like that. Yeah. yeah. But we will come. I will come back. <laughs> That's a bit ominous. Cool. Well, thanks, uh, Helene, for coming. And thanks, thanks for everybody, for who, listening. And the thanks for having me, guys. Large number of. This is just us recording conversations that we think are fun. Yeah, it is fun. Mm. It's almost like a diary. Like, Yeah, it's, a, it's something to do. Um, but yeah, I think it's good because there are not a lot of... Uh, we don't have to get meta about the podcast. We can just leave it there. <laughs> Please listen. Thank, thank you for listening. <laughs> Sponsor us. Bye-bye. Bye. Ka-chow. 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 Ciao.